started, huh? So if you remember last week, um, Absalom and David are uh, uh, having this little exchange. They're um, out in the woods. Absalom's trying to come after David. And uh, so David comes up with this plan in chapter 18. The interesting thing is we don't get the full picture of where they're at. They're in some very thick woods. Now, if you've ever been in the woods, um, it can be kind of disorienting. And when I was in high school, my dad had bought this piece of land. We'd oftentimes have uh, bonfires out there. And we loved it when the ladies would leave the bonfire early because then we would flank them and we would scare the daylights out of them because we knew how to get through the woods and they didn't. And then they would scream and then we would laugh and it was a good time. So have that kind of deep, dark woods in your mind as we're reading um, this passage. Uh, chapter 18, then David mustered the men, uh, Colonel Mustard did the men, uh, who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army one-third under the... We still getting there? Second Samuel chapter 18? Okay. Uh, one-third under the command of Joab, our favorite um, Israelite commander. One-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zariah. Uh, Joab's brother, and one-third under the commander of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I, might, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, You shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. The king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. Now, isn't that a little interesting David's the king. He's the strategist. You kind of get the sense of David's in an odd spot mentally um, that he would kind of say, yeah, whatever you guys think is best, I will do when he happens to be um, the expert in this art of war. So the king stood at the side of the gate while the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands, and the king ordered Joab and Ab and. Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So it's this interesting thing, right? Because David is in the city with all of his men. They're fortified in the city. And he makes this decision to send thousands upon thousands of men out in three different bands to find Absalom. And what he wants is them to deal gently. Now, if you were in that army and you knew that you're going after the guy who tried to kill your king, how do you think you would feel? You probably would be like, yeah, right. I am definitely not going to deal gently with this guy when I find him. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. Remember this uh, deep, dark, mysterious woods. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and for the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. Ooh, think about that. The forest killed more people than the sword. 
kind of like in Lord of the Rings, right? When the trees, you guys know the scene? The scene? Well, okay, if you've read the books, you're cool. Uh, the forest comes to life and becomes this menacing foe. You get, that, you get this idea. So all of these people end up dying. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule. <laughs> oh, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, so first of all, it's fascinating because uh, the mule has gotten a really bad rap. And what you don't realize is that mules, um, in a lot of ways, are actually far more valuable than horses. And when the United States of America was being established, they realized that the quarter horse wasn't necessarily um, bred for long journeys. And so when we started spreading west, I just read this 400 and some page uh, book on the Oregon Trail, and one whole chapter was about the breeding of mules, so settle in. Um, <laughs> But it was fascinating because they breed donkeys, uh, or they, they breed these mules, okay? And you think donkey, mule, not the same thing. They breed these mules for heading west upon the Oregon Trail because um, they're stronger, they have more endurance, they eat less, and they drink less. So think about that. So for uh, Absalom to have this mule is not like this bad thing. In fact, it was a good thing because the mule provided um, a sense of endurance. So Absalom is out riding on his mule. And the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast. I mean, you can't make this up. His head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. I mean, come on! So he's riding along, clip-clop, 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 whoop. And he's stuck, like his head is stuck in the tree, and the mule's gone. You've seen like the old, old Western movies? Maybe you haven't seen the old Western movies where the guy, you know, the scoundrel is going to get hung up by the tree, and then the mule, or the horse starts to walk away, and he's like, wait, stop. Exactly. See, she knows what I'm talking about. So just envision this. The beautiful Absalom, remember, he looks a lot like Fabio, is hanging in the tree by his head. Like, my, how things have changed. You have a question? Who's Fabio? He's a fancy-looking man with flowing locks, and he used to, he loves, well, not butter, margarine. I can't believe it's not butter. All right, we need to get back on track here. How did we get off track? Okay, so Absalom is stuck. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. And I'm sure Joab was like, What? <laughs> That's what he said. What? You saw him? When the, uh, why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai 
and Ittai, for my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you, and he took three javelins, as if one wasn't going to be enough, in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, uh, Joab's armor-bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet, and the troops came back from pursuing Israel. For Joab restrained them, and they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, everyone to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and it's called Absalom's Monument to this day. So this guy finds Absalom, and he's like, no, I'm not going to kill him. We weren't supposed to kill him. Joab seems to have a different uh, idea. It's like the old bring him back dead or alive, and you forget the alive part, and you just bring him back dead, except they don't bring him back. And in some ways, you think, um, so we uh, used to live in a small house, uh, when I was growing up, and we had a small backyard, and we had a neighbor to the west, to the west, and we would oftentimes play uh, baseball in our backyard. And as we grew older, we played uh, home run derby because we had a fence, because we had a dog, and so um, think Sandlot, except we had the dog, and it was a different dog than the dog in Sandlot, but you get the idea. So there we are, and then we, we can't find the wiffle ball, so we decide that we're going to use a tennis ball. <laughs> and so uh, first pitch, uh, strike, except it isn't a strike because it's a home run over the fence right through the neighbor's window. <laughs> oh. It's like, what did you think was going to happen? David sends out thousands upon thousands of men what did he think was going to happen? Did he think that they were going to bring him back alive? Well, I think he actually did, because when David hears about it, later in chapter 18, um, verse 24, now David uh, was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof uh, of the gate by the wall, and when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running. Forrest Gump is on his way. The watchman called out and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew near and near. The watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gate and said, See, another man running alone. The king said, He also brings news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahamaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. And he says in verse 28, All is well. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servants, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Seems like all is well. 
But behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered for you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for the evil be like that young man. Wrong answer. (laughs) And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. And we have this very interesting picture because Absalom, we know, is coming after David. And David and the rest of his men are looking at the exact same thing. And the two guys are like, it's great news. We have overtaken the enemies. We are safe. And except David's response is, it would have been better if I would have died than Absalom. And it leaves us this very interesting question of, does David really believe that? Is David such a guy that he would have rather died than have his enemy win, have his enemy kill him? Well, we have to realize that his enemy is his son, and we get this glimpse into David is, loves his children no matter what they do to him. Remember Amnon, and he wept for Amnon and all this, even though he had done all these terrible things. Joab is not so pleased. Uh, it was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard that day. The king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son, Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Interesting, right? Because all of these people are celebrating because they have had victory, and David is mourning because he has won, but he has lost. And Joab comes in and he's like, hey, basically what you're saying to all these other people is that they don't really matter. Have you ever been in a situation where you show up at somebody's house uh, and you're hanging out? And they're like, I wish so-and-so was here. Or, gee, this would be a lot more fun if so-and-so was here. Or, when's everyone else going to show up? Like last week. Right? A good portion of you chose to stay home. Boring. Oh, it was cold. I know, it's so cold. Except it was 70 degrees in here. We had a great time. We talked about snacks. It was great. But you ever feel that way, like, oh, if only we had so-and-so here, 
there was a, an infamous time in my uh, family where I'm notoriously late, and it was Christmas Eve, and my brother had gone over to my dad's, my oldest brother, and my middle brother and I were at my middle brother's house, and we were kind of dawdling as we tend to do, not in a big hurry. And my dad says to my oldest brother, well, when's everyone else going to show up? Wrong answer. <laughs> because what is that communicating? Like, basically, you don't matter. Who I really want to see is whoever isn't here, right? You guys get the drift? Get what I'm saying here? Joab knows that uh, it's kind of like every Wednesday when you come here and you're like, oh, it's Eric again. <laughs> if only Abby was back. Let's try that again. That was really good. Let's try it one more. I think we can really get it, and then I'll feel better, and, and then we can keep going. Oh, Eric's here. If only Abby was back. I know you're crying for me, and I really appreciate it, because you're like, no, it's better that you're here than no one is here, because uh, that's good. It makes me feel better. So Joab rebukes David, and is like, basically, Here's the deal. Your kingdom is in tenuous, a tenuous place. And if you don't get out there and tell these people, I'm excited that you're alive and that Absalom, I'm not necessarily excited that Absalom is dead, but I'm excited that you all are alive. Let's do this thing together. So the king arose, took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, this king is sitting in his gate, and all the, ki- king, uh, all the people came before the king. It's like all is right again in the city of Jerusalem. Um, And then if we skip down uh, to verse 14, and he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man so that they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. Ah! It's like all is right in the world now that David is back and everyone's on board with David except there's these people who are in a uh, precarious position. Uh, and Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Byram, uh, hurried to come down with the men to, of Judah to meet King David. And with him uh, were a thousand men from Benjamin and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king, and they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, Let my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all of the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. And then David says, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. And then on comes Mephibosheth. How many of you have seen this amazing movie? Came out in 1986. How many of us were alive? <laughs> Just kidding. 
So, Karate Kid, part two. There's some real debate. Part one or part two is better. This is at the beginning of part one. Daniel's son is holding the trophy, and we're having a little outside battle with Cobra Kai. Mr. Miyagi confronts uh, the bad guy from Cobra Kai. I cut out the bloody part. I know. It's PG, so it's good. Bryce, where are you going, man? I need you to hit play. It's PG. Shh. Listen. Check this out. Bryce is going to give us a play option. Turn it up. No mercy. <laughs> My mic is really loud. I mean, in the totality of all of the great films of the 1980s, that singular event... Because then as we fast forward to the end of the movie, I'm not going to spoil that for you, but I mean, Mr. Miyagi, no mercy. Honk. So how do you understand mercy versus grace? Sixth grade ladies, remember we had this discussion, the difference between mercy and grace? Well, it's a little bit like this. Um, so... We, uh, I was in Alaska this fall, and we were planning on camping uh, by this cabin because this cabin was damaged in the storm uh, where they got 55 feet of snow in one storm. Crazy. I said 55 feet of snow. It was absolutely insane. I wasn't there. This was a while ago, 2012. So anyways, we had to camp because we couldn't stay in the cabin. So we show up at the lake, and there's uh, an airplane already there. And these guys are moose hunting. And they say, oh, just stay in the cabin. We're leaving. The window's open. You can just stay in the cabin. It's no big deal. So we go up there and post it on the door. It says, uh, no trespassing, condemned government building, um, thou shalt not cross. If you cross, penalty, blah, blah, blah. We stopped reading. But the window was open. The door, both doors were um, plywood shut. Windows, plywood shut with multiple screws, um, but one window is open. So what do you naturally do? You go in through the window that's open because the guys said we could stay there. And they had even, some people had built a custom ladder to get into this building. And we figured, eh, if anyone shows up and tells us to move out, we'll move out. We have a tent. So uh, as we were fishing and loving living in dryness and not being eaten by bears, um, one day these guys from uh, Denmark said, oh, hey, uh, are you guys staying in the cabin? We said, yeah, why? Well, um, the, the Forest Service was just here, and they were wondering who was staying in the cabin. We're like, whatever. These guys are liars. So we stayed there the rest of the week. It was phenomenal. We cleaned up everything, uh, and we went back to the, to the main area civilization and we're just living high on the hog we get our fish all frozen we're driving to the airport and my buddy steve gets a phone call and he's like yes sir uh yes sir i'm like 
Hmm, who could Steve be talking to? Yes, sir. Sounds good, sir. Okay, very good. Um, that was Andy, the uh, law enforcement for the Forest Service. He's going to be meeting us at the airport. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So there's Andy, uh, forest ranger, law enforcement, with his badge and his gun and everything. And he says, uh, you guys were staying in that cabin. You knew you weren't supposed to stay in that cabin. Um, so I'm going to have to to uh, write you guys up for illegally residing in a federal building overnight. I was like, oh, that sounds real serious. <laughs> he said, here's the deal. He said, I could write you a ticket that would go on your record because it would be a federal offense. Yeah, staying in a federal building. It's like you, you illegally reside at the White House or in this cabin in Alaska. Same, not quite the same penalty, but you get the idea. And Andy says, but here's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to write you a warning. The best words that anyone has ever heard from a law enforcement. I'm just going to write you a warning. That is mercy. <laughs> right? Because I deserve to be penalized and to be thrown in a jail cell in, in Cordova, Alaska, never to be seen for... No, it wouldn't have been that bad. But um, I had done something wrong. We admitted we had done something wrong. We knew we were doing something wrong. And yet we were granted mercy. Mercy is withholding punishment that is due to an individual... And grace is extending something to someone that they don't deserve. So, okay, mercy, you deserve punishment, and I'm not going to give you that punishment. That's mercy. Grace, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyways, and it's a positive thing. Can we keep that straight? I think we can. So David here grants his enemies grace. Are we awake tonight? No. no! He grants them mercy because they should be killed and punished and all of these things, and they are granted grace. Thank you. That was a trick. See, see what I did there? You're paying attention. All right, so Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes, much like, um, never mind. Uh, from the day the king departed until he came, uh, the day he came back in safety. So you remember Mephibosheth? We've talked about him multiple times. He's mourning because David is out doing his thing. Um, verse 26, he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey, less than a mule, remember that, uh, for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord, uh, the king, but the lord, but my lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord, the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. With further, what further right have I then to cry to the king? 
And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. It's this amazing thing. Skip ahead to verse uh, 41. Then all the uh, men of Israel came to the king. Uh, and said to the king, why, why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king And in David also, we have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So check this out, right? Like, this is a day of celebration and excitement, and David is back on the throne, and David is like passing out mercy Um, all over the place because he's in such a great mood. And classic. What happens? Two of the kids start fighting because he has more than me and he doesn't deserve that because I want the... You guys know what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit is all up in your space convicting you because you've been that person. I know this. I see you. I see you. I don't know. You don't think it's funny. But this is a great example of here David is uniting the kingdom and the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Some harsh words. And you're like, why can't we all just get along? And it's interesting because when somebody gets mercy... What do we think? Life isn't... Yeah, right? And that's kind of what's going on here. They're like, well, this isn't fair because they shouldn't get what I got and I should get what they got and it's all these interesting things. And God is like, here's the deal. None of you deserve any of this. (laughs) So maybe, just maybe, you should be grateful for the grace and mercy, both things that God is extending to you, and you should talk to each other in a nice way instead of speaking so harshly to one another. So we come to this big conclusion, and everything seems to be going great, right? Everything seems to be going great for David, Except something is afoot. You guys know what that means? See what I did there for your game? Something is afoot. Let's pray. Let's let's pray before I honk all your noses. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you that it is not arctically cold and the polar vortex is not dominating our lives and keeping us from being with one another. And we thank you for this 
chance to get together and to look at this life, uh, this piece of the life of David. And when we look at it, it's a pretty heavy, it's a pretty heavy piece where he is at war with his son. And he loses his son in the battle that he never desired for him to be killed. And we look at the mercy that is extended and the grace that is extended. And we think about the mercy that exists between you and us. And the fact that we deserve so much worse than we get. And that we deserve that ticket like I did. And yet you grant us never-ending mercy when we ask for it. So tonight, Holy Spirit, I do just pray that you would be with us in our discussion groups as we talk about things like forgiveness and mercy and how we speak to other people, and that you would uh, speak in our, into our hearts and into our minds, that we would speak kindly to one another, and that we would extend the same amount of mercy that we desire from other people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Go forth to your groups.